Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode contains scenes which are not suitable for children and which some listeners may find distressing. This podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. You couldn't trust the junkies. I've done it once. I gave a junkie heroin for free. She rang up and she was looking for gear and she had no money. She was from Malahide, big posh house, man, that had loads of money, real posh girl. And she rang him up one day looking for heroin and she had no money. The man that had fucked her out of the gaff. And apparently she'd owed him money already. I wasn't there, whatever happened, he'd met her and gave her the drugs, so she had previously owed money. This was how sick he was, they thought it was funny, like, called me down to the bedroom, I said, yeah, what's up? And he said, she's looking for a smack, she's looking for free, and I told her she could have it, once she gave you, gave you the ride. I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, he said, get him into the car, get the ride off, and you give her the smack. That's a treat for yourself. Like, what do you mean to treat myself? I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to have sex with somebody. I don't, want, and I don't want to give them drugs either to have sex with them. So he, and he was like, I'm telling you now, go up, give her the money, make sure you have sex with her. And I was like, there's not a chance in me. Like they were all like kind of egging me on, like because they all thought was like this was. Go on, the lips and all. Go on, oh, she don't need a breath and everything. Just make sure you wear the condom. You'll be fine. You won't catch that off. She doesn't have the virus. They thought, to, to this, to this, this is how sick they were. They thought it was a game. This is the witness. In his own words. Episode 5. The Break. Went out to the car and I got into the car and I was like, oh, what am I going to do? And the woman, I got out of the car and I got into the whole car. And I said, you know what they want us to do, don't you? And she says, yeah. She says, yes, yeah. She said to me, I've no, yeah, I've no problem. I'm happy to go if you are. And I said, no, not a hope. I'm not, just not into it. Like, I'm not into it. Like, I said, I need you to promise me you're not going to tell if I give you the hair You need to say that. We, we done it, like, that I shagged you, like. And she was like, no, I will, I will, Joey, I promise. I promise. I swear to God, I said, you can't, I like, I literally, I was nearly sobbing in the car, I was like, please, do not tell him that we didn't have sex. If he asks, like, you can fucking tell him, we done it in every fucking position he wanted. Exaggerate, I don't care what you have to say. So I basically sat there, 
they were the heroin. I sat there for about 45 minutes, standing outside the car, having a smoke. And then my phone started ringing, and it was him ringing. Didn't answer a few times, because obviously I wanted to make it look like I was with your woman. Went back to the house, went in, and they were like, oh, so I was like, what's the story? Did you do it? And I was like, yeah, 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 it was grand, yeah. And, and they were all like, go on, the lips and all, and all. I thought it was all fucking, thought it was brilliant, and all taking the piss down. What was that fake shit like, and all this and everything. And I was trying not to just... Trying not to get into it, do you mean? I was just like, I was like, fuck off, leave me alone, do you know what I mean? I don't want to talk about it, like. And then about three o'clock in the morning, he came up and dragged me down the stairs and punched the face off me in the kitchen for lying. Yeah, woman, obviously smoking the heroin we gave, I'd given out. Soon as she'd ran out, ran, ran up looking for more and says, he, she, she says, I'll sleep up this time, definitely, if you give me that. And she said, what do you mean you'll sleep up this time if you definitely give me the, the heroin? She was like, he already slept with you today. She said, no, he didn't. He gave it to me for free. And she rattled on me. And I was just trying to do the right thing, like, but giving it to her. I'm not making it, like, be a prostitute or whatever. And like, he bet lumps down me this for lying to her. For basically, and it wasn't what the lie, it was for giving the smack away for free. That's how mean he was. Like, this girl was in bits, dying sick, like, and he wanted me to shag her just to... Why would you want me to shag her? Like, you shag her. What's it got to do with me, like? I just, that's how weird he was, he was just strange, like. And what, how long did you know that girl? I, I knew her, she was, she was a regular customer. Because one time she, she owed a lot of money and he went up to the house and he made the man that pay. We went up to the house, there was a big gate, big huge place up in Malahoyed. He went up to the door and told, told the man that she owed a couple of thousand and they're like, he'd blow the hell off and the man that wrote a cheque and all there, then and there. What age was she? Oh, she was a lot old, she, she would have been in a... Oh, she would have been in her late 20s. I didn't want to have sex with somebody. It was like forcing someone to have sex like with heroin. Like. Was there many like her then, the customers? Yeah, there was a lot. We had a lot of social welfare pay. We had a lot of girls that would pay on um, Mickey Money Day, we call it. That's what Brian would call it, Mickey Money Day. She'd get paid once a month, children allowance. So what would happen was is... Um, have a lot of the girls, a lot of them from Blanchestown, Fingless, Ballymore, they'd ring up and they'd be like, they'd have enough money to get them through the week. And, but if they hadn't, they'd, they'd say, can I have an eight? And I'd pay it when I get my children's allowance. That's when they get the big lump sum once a month. They'd just three or four kids. They might get three or four hundred euro. So the eight would be 250. And I remember one day, there was this girl from Blanchestown and we went to uh, get the money off her. If you had kids, you'd have the book for, so, for the social welfare to get the money, children's allowance book. So he used to take the book as, like, a bargaining tool. And what he'd do then is, when, when it was due to be collected, he'd go and pick the girl up, he'd go in the car, and he'd bring her to the post office. And we'd wait outside. And what happened one day is, we had to the post office in Blanchestown, I'll never forget it. The centre was built in all this time, but, like, the Blanchestown shopping centre was built, it was a new post office across in the Leisureplex. And... We were parked outside in the car and he handed her the book. She goes into the post office and the next minute she just runs past the car and just runs down the street and he just starts shouting at me, get out, get on. He jumps out of the car, two of us are running after her, he's running down the street and then he just got her by the hair and he fucking punched her up and down, blanches down the car back. Like, I mean, she wouldn't let the money go out of her hand. I was just standing there in complete shock. Everyone was like, there was people screaming, roaring. Like, people thought like it was a girlfriend or something. And he had her on the ground and he bet her black and blue. He did. Took the book off her, took the money off her. And it was just like it was normal. 
Then she rang up then a few days later, looking for more heroin, and they just keep coming back, they just keep coming back, and that's how sad it was, like, it was just, these people had kids, like, and that's what addiction is, like, they were just... Like, she rang up two or three days later, I'm sorry, Brian, I'm sorry. Any chance saw me out and all, and he'd be like, this is the last time, and... He had so much control over them. Yeah, and, and he, he liked it. What did what did he think of his customers? Oh, he just smacked it. He was always above them. Stand up to them, don't be taking any shit. Like, you know I mean? That dirty, junky bastard and all. I think at the time, cocaine was kind of getting more generally used, I suppose. So were there different types of customers from different parts of the city or...? Yeah, we'd, we'd have a lot more of... You'd have a lot more of um, businessmen. Um, a lot of travellers. A lot of travellers used to buy a lot of coke offs. Um, but a lot of businessmen, a lot of the big houses up in Clonier, up in Castlenock. Um, they used to meet them around Blanchestown Shopping Centre. Used to go to a lot of the homes. Um, and there was, there was people that worked in bookies. It was, it was, it was, it was different, different clientele altogether. But um, people that have money, like people used to drive from town to meet me in Ballymun, like, and but they'd buy five or six bags of coke just to get them through the day and walk. Like back then, it was, it was everyone was at, um, solicitors, barristers, you name, people that worked in banks, doctors. Dentist. And did Brian treat those people any differently than he? Oh, and yeah, he, he used to like to talk to them a bit more. But he used to like going up to the big houses with me in the car. He'd bring his car and all. And he used to like going up to the door, like with the short on and everything. And he'd be, he used to talk money with them. Like, like I have a big house here and I have a jet ski and I have a boat and I have three cars and I have property up in Drotter and my mother and father own like a six bedroom house and my sister has a six bedroom house, etc. He talked differently. Like, given all that palaver like. Why do you think he did that? Like why do you think he was Because that's the world he wanted to be in. That's what he always that that was his world he always wanted to be up there. He wanted to be like high society, all that champagne and big houses and he, that that's what his, his aim was for. And that that was his goal. He wanted to be seen as a respectable businessman, and that's what he—that's what he wanted. Mm. And at the same time, he was—you know—he kind of idolised like Martin Cowell and and John Gilligan and stuff. And that's, I remember sitting in—I remember sitting in the in the house watching that film, the uh, Veronica Guerin, when a woman got shot, like, and uh, he was laughing and all, and he was saying he was. I'll never be. I'll never be as stupid as Gilligan. Uh, Gilligan. But uh, he loved it. He loved all that. He just, on one hand, he wanted both of the best of both worlds. He wanted to be a gangster. and He wanted to be a businessman. And what do you think it was about those kind of big gangsters that attracted him? Like, was it the fame? Was it the, the fear? I think the not really the fear. He wanted people to be afraid of him. And a lot of people were. I was. A lot of all of our customers were, and he wanted fear. He wanted fear. He wanted power. He wanted money. Well, what happened was 
the glass in heaven, the cemetery there, there was a garage. So we're going to hold it up. Barnes says, come on, the lips were going. And we drive down to the garage and we keep going to, to meet this girl and Eddie Rockets. She was going to give us the details of how to get in and get out and all that. And we pulled into Eddie Rockets and the next minute we get surrounded. Me and Brian are in the car, about 20 men are around us with guns, pointing guns at us. Can I get the fuck out of the car? Get the fuck out of the car. Put your hands in the air. They had me pinned on the floor, guns to me head, arm guards. I had handcuffs. I was on the ground, handcuffed. A man had his foot in the back of me, neck and everything. Brian was on the ground as well, handcuffed. I was terrified because I knew it was serious. I'd never had, we'd been arrested before doing other stuff it was just petty stuff like and I knew the rules but when they had guns and all like and it was just I, was, I didn't know what was happening so they took us to Mountjoy police station and um, they took, put me in the cell they, they, they took me of a question on what um, what we are doing on about robbing the garage and I was like that we are talking about I uh, just kept no comment, no comment, no comment, no comment, no comment. And uh, I was underage, I, met, I remember at the time, and uh, I was like, you, need, you, need, you shouldn't even question me, you're a appropriate adult. So yeah, a man, the, the detective at the time, was a detective called Strafford, and uh, he's actually dead now. And he called, uh, he said to the guard, bring him into my office. And he brought me into the office. And he sat down, and he said... Uh, do you know um, Marlo Hoylands? I said, no. He said, do you know Alan Bradley? I said, no. He said, do you know Wayne Bradley? I said, no. He said, do you know Decky Cullen? I said, no. John Daly? I said, no. Brian Kenny? I said, no. Thomas Hengen? I said, no. He said, are you sure about that? I said, yep. He said, how sure are you? I said, 110%. And he opened his jaw. The next minute he had a board, he looked at a clipboard. He goes up to the clipboard and he says, Now look up here. And he picks a picture up of Marlow Hoyland and me. And he puts a picture up of Fapus and me. Kenny, me. So every person he sat there and said they'd been watching us for months. So they, what, we, what we've been doing was coming in out of gaffes for the parties and when we were meeting up, they'd been following us and taking pictures of us. So I says, when your man was finished, I said, now you can put me back in my cell. Everyone presumed that because I was because it was such a serious thing, I was going to rat like. But I knew I wasn't going to rat. I'd have been killed if I was a rat. But your man straight away, as soon as he said, I seen the picture of my face dropped like, because obviously I was like after denying everything. I didn't know any of these people. And then I walk out onto the street, and it's like that scene from the Bronx Tale. When the young fellow comes out of the courthouse the next minute, it's just all clapping and roaring and shouting. I look down the street and they're all sitting at the car in the car bonnets, fucking cheering me on, saying, go on the lips, go on the lips. He's doing brilliant son. And then they all took us to the castle for the session. And everyone got pissed and on the bag, everyone sniffing and everything. But uh, to, to them, that was like my fucking graduation or something into the, into the war. I kind of proved myself, if, if that made sense. But I didn't do it to be a fucking gangster. I don't know how I fear. That's the only reason I wasn't telling. 
because I didn't want to die and I didn't want my family to die. How did you feel when they're celebrating you, you know, they're clapping you on the back for what you've just done? Well, I wasn't getting a hiding. So that's why I looked at. I was always happy when I wasn't getting a hiding because what else? I had nothing else. I always tried to appease Brian. And if I could keep him at... I, I always tried to keep him at a level... Like, yeah, trying to try and get a balance one, and which was very hard, because he was such a jack on the whole. And I'm, I'm, I'm being brutally honest with you. If I, if I have to stand there and drink, sniff coke and dance with them all night to know that I'm not going to get raped, slapped, and my family aren't going to be hurt, I'd still be doing it now. Because I ain't got a choice. People say, oh, you have a choice. I don't have a choice. You People think it's easy just to walk away or you, you put, put yourself on my shoes. It's not that easy. Once you get involved in that, once you do it once, once they get you, they only need to catch you once. I'm not on about the guards, I'm on about the likes of Kenny or Marlow and all them. I was afraid of them because of who they were, their reputations, John Daly and all. They were off their rockers, Decky Corden completely barking like, Fucking things be just you be still sitting there just start shooting in the air. Like they're thinking of hilarious from all mad things like. But they didn't do what, what Brian was doing to me. And that they don't know how like I just kept my mouth shut on loose lip think ships, that's what Brian always said. See no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. And that's that they were the things that drilled into me, but Brian. Speak when spoken to. And that's how I live my life. Like the night, one of the nights I was after, they were after doing a job, some robbery. And they got big books, seemed to get 800,000 or something. Big money at the time it was. And they were having the party and the undercover cops were sitting outside. And Marlow says to, to Brian, that's your mate Strath out there. He bet, bet you he's a big hard on for me. Has I hope you're not talking to him, and everyone started laughing. But I didn't laugh. I knew better not to laugh. And then Brian said to Alan, "Change the song or something. Put a song on to change the subject." But I knew because they laughed. What I was gonna get on the way home, and I didn't laugh because I knew I would have laughed. But either way, and after that party. We left, say, we left about five in the morning. That's me doing coke, you know, Jack Daniels popping ears. I think I, even before we left, I think I grabbed a handful of ears and took about fucking six of them because I knew what I was getting on the way home. And he pulled over and punched the head off me and abused me. Said I was laughing at him, and I wasn't laughing at him. I was never that stupid. He just didn't like, he felt he was disrespected, but I didn't disrespect him. Like, he used to say to me, you're disrespecting me. I, I haven't done anything. I'm doing what you're telling me to do. Like, and it was, it was just constant. Like, like, he used to make me dress like him and all. He used to go out shopping and he'd make me, he'd, he'd buy the clothes and put me in the same clothes as him. So I'd, I'd look, we looked like fucking idiots. It looked weird, like, it was weird, like. Like, I couldn't even have a bath. You'd, like, you wouldn't even let you have a bath. You'd have to use the same water he used. That's how bad it was disgusting, like. It's vile, like. It's like, it's fucking... It's just unhuman, some of the stuff, like. 
sometimes it was just mad. Like sometimes he could be, sometimes he could be kind. And that's probably what the hardest part was. Because when he was kind and when he was nice, it was like nothing that mattered. I could forget the bad stuff. Sometimes we'd have a laugh. Yeah, sometimes he'd have a laugh and sometimes it sometimes he'd play pool in the shed and he wouldn't abuse you, I wouldn't be hit you. And we'd have a few drinks and we'd have a bit of crack and or sometimes we'd just go out for a drive or go field or I don't know, sometimes it'd be just normal things and you forget the bad stuff. You kinda of think, Oh yes, he didn't mean that. I can forget but that doesn't mean I can kinda put that to he didn't mean it, like look how good it was today or, and he'd remind you of that like it was like when he raped me on my birthday. I think I was 18, around that age, 17, 18. Raped me on the room floor. And the next night he wanted me to babysit and I told him, no, I wanted to go home. And I was going to tell you if he didn't let me go home, he put a knife to me throat. He said, look what I done for you last night. He took it the same way as the state. Had a big party for you, everyone was there. All the gangsters were there, cocaine everywhere. And this is how you ever pay me made me feel like I'd done something wrong. And he was the one who took me home and abused me. And because I said I didn't want a babysit, that's what he said, that's not what it was over, because I felt like it was wrong. And I said what you'd done to me last night was wrong. You shouldn't have done that to me. And he didn't like that. And he said, nah, he was like to read it. Nah, he doesn't want a babysit. Look how ungrateful he is. Had a big party for him last night. Every gangster in the country was there. That's what he was saying. They wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for me. Look what I do for you. And I know all this stuff making me like, and I was like, nah, this is wrong. I said, what you're, I said, I'm going to tell her what you've done to me. But I kind of stood up for myself. And that's why he let me go. Because I kind of knew, I, I kind of, in my head, I was like, that's wrong. Like, for once, I kind of said, no, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want, I don't want you touching me. I don't want you putting your hands on me. Like, Then he let me go, and I went. And I went back to staying in my mouth for a while. And then I thought I was free. God, as I said, I got to go back to Ballymore and... Got to be a teenager for a while. And it was great. Like for them few months it was brilliant. Like had like I had a great time to be fair. I had good friends and I had a job. I didn't do drugs all the time. I, I hung around the blocks with my mates and yeah, I was just normal. Like my sisters were there again looking after me and my ma was there and yeah, I just done normal things. Like, I had friends, like, my own age, and I never had friends my own age like that. And I hung around the blocks and I just had, played football. I went out on the motorbikes. My brother had horses. He let us go out on his horses. And it was just normal stuff, like. Um, just go drinking on the weekends. Fucking hanging around all the girls. and Yeah, it was, it was, it was grand. Everything was grand, like. He let me go, but he only let me go because I was going to tell Rita what he'd done to me. After St. Michael's estate, when he abused me on my birthday on the, on the sitting room floor. I changed my number and he wasn't contacting me. I hadn't heard that from him and everything. It was great. And a few people said to me they'd seen him driving around and all. And I kind of, I think my older brother said it to me once or twice, he'd seen him driving up and down my eyes road and that. And like that was kind of getting me anxious and nervous because like a few people had seen him. So I knew he was watching out for me. Then I was getting messages. I heard a few messages off certain people that, that knew us were saying he's asking for you and all and blah, blah, blah. 
my phone rang one day and it was him and told me that Marla was going to shoot me got I thought I rattled on him. He, Mar- Marlo said that he'd heard I'd been going around saying stuff, like ratting on him, telling him, telling him about the armed robberies and stuff like that. And he said that he was looking for me and they were going to shoot me. He needed to meet me. He said, you need to see me straight away. And there was a place called Foss on the Jamestown Road in um, Poppentry. And we lived right there on the other side of the park. And he said, I'd be there in 20 minutes. You need to meet me there straight away. And I can sort this out for you. Once I got into the car, he locked the doors. I never went home again. Took me back to Mitchellstown Cottage. Drove in, put me in the shed. Told me that Rita and the kids were going to be there. Told me they missed me, all this fucking story, all this story. Then once he got me into the house, then it was all a lie. I walked in and the next minute this woman walked out back here and I was expecting Rita to come out. And I was like, who the fuck is she? I don't know who she was, never seen her before. He was like, this is Mandy. And Mandy is Peter Joyce's sister. He was like, she's a stunner, isn't she? And all. She's much better looking than Rita. And she was younger than Rita. And uh, she was like, oh, Joey, lovely to meet you. Oh, he never stops talking about you and all. And, all he ever says is Joey this, Joey that, and I'm just so confused. I was sitting there and I'm thinking, oh, I'm, I'm here because someone's going to kill me, and you said you're going to sort it. And, and then we went out to the shed, and he was like, I, I missed you, and I'm sorry for everything I've done to you, and I just want you to come home. And like Rita's gone there, Rita never wanted wanted you to be here in the fourth place. He was saying stuff like that to me, saying that Rita wanted me out and all. He was trying to like blame everything on her. He was saying like we're in the big time now. I have everything set up, and he said I'm after buying you a new motorbike and I have you a new car and everything. And he was, and I was like, yeah, you have to tell me, Marlow Hoyland's going to shoot me. He was like, no, no, I'm after sorting that out. And I was like, how could you sort out one day after getting from Ballymun to the house? Like, what did you sort out in five minutes? None of it was true, it was all a lie. It wasn't me that had had to fall out with him. With Marlo, it wasn't me they were talking about, they were talking about him. But he just said that to me to get me back. And he just brought me upstairs and told me to go to bed and see me in the morning, took my phone off me. I said, I need to ring my man and tell her where I am. He said, I'll text her for you now. That was it, took my phone. Never seen my phone again. And that was it. I was back. And I was back to run the business. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. 
Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. (laughs) Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was, like, wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. Like you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout season two, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.